0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Raptor Community Podcast. We're going to be recapping the two Raptors games versus the Miami Heat, since I didn't throw a podcast about that one out. So, let's start with the first game. The Raptors lose to the Miami Heat 111 102. And they were a very undermanned squad. No Tyler Hero, no Jimmy Butler. And honestly, Toronto didn't really have any energy. They came out the gate really, really slow. And they were outworked by the Miami Heat. We could tell it was honestly a tough game when Nick Nurse, you know, you see him with that body language, he's kneeling down on the sideline. Uh, The Raptors had no real defensive resistance until that fourth quarter, and even at that point, they couldn't crack that 2-3 zone that Miami was throwing out there. Raptors would get into the middle, they kick it out to a shooter, you know, whether it was like Norman Powell or OG Ananobi or whoever it may be on the wings and they just weren't getting it done offensively. They were they were just clanking and they ended up only hitting 16 of 49 threes in that game and they didn't really get out in transition. They did not capitalize on second chance points and the heat had 19 turnovers and Toronto wasn't really able to convert at an effective rate on that end of the floor. Under those conditions of that kind of game, I want to see Nick Nurse adjust his rotation and throw out a Matt Thomas specifically I like to see an elite shooter out there who can really help break a zone you can get a lot of high screen and roll action with him off ball especially and he'll get open looks in those in that zone condition especially in a 2-3 zone where he can shoot anywhere he can shoot in the corners he can get a high arc three he can shoot anywhere above the break it doesn't matter that's kind of Matt Thomas's specialty he can hit a three from anywhere on the floor. And Nick Nurse continues to be resilient in not playing him. And I don't really know why he's doing that. I'm honestly really, really confused. Is it because defensively, he's not great? I don't know. He doesn't, like, the, the stats don't suggest that he's a terrible defender. And when you watch the game, you, you can see that he's competent on that end of the floor. He doesn't necessarily give back what he's producing offensively. And Matt Thomas is the kind of guy who can hit two or three three-pointers in a game and really swing it in your favor especially when a team is running a zone you throw a guy like that out there it would really really affect their ability to run that zone effectively and cause them to scramble which could lead to back cuts could lead to open dunks could lead to better easier dribble penetration and just the gravity that you would have on the floor would be very very important against this Miami team want to give a shout out to a couple of guys on the miami who played really well kendrick nunn dropped 28 points on Toronto. He shot 9 of 12 from the floor and honestly looked unstoppable offensively. He also looked good again last night as well for this undermanned Miami Heat squad. They needed his offensive production to stay afloat against Toronto in both games considering how shorthanded they were and he really did deliver in that game. Another guy who was really good was Bam Adebayo. Also played an all-around amazing game, really filled up the stat sheet Boucher had a tough time guarding him in a few moments in that game obviously he's a bigger more imposing physical player than Boucher is and Boucher got put under the basket a couple times he had a one left-handed layup where Boucher just fouled him kind of a silly foul and he finished got the and one and honestly they've also got Precious a chew off the bench who is a very similar player to Bam he's a strong athletic rim runner big player obviously a rookie but it's got some size to him and Honestly, that size advantage is challenging for a guy like Boucher to thrive in, and we saw Nick Nurse adjust only playing him twenty minutes and playing him more of a small ball role. So Toronto got embarrassed by this Miami Heat team. They were expected to be the team to take care of business that night. They had Kyle Lowry. They were essentially fully healthy at that point. And they got not only embarrassed, but they just did not play good. Right? Toronto did not play good and they ended up coming back out in this game without Kyle Lowry last night and they played really really good in the first quarter of that game. They ended up winning 101-81 and it was a defensive showing for Toronto. Honestly, at a certain point it's Miami's just struggling to be able to get baskets, you know, it's not necessarily Toronto's defensive scheme as much as it is that Miami's cast of characters uh two nights, two games in a row, I should say, aren't necessarily going to get it done for you and let's just start with the beginning of that game Norman Powell was on fire he helped Toronto go off to a 13-2 run to start the game he had 10 of their first 16 points another guy who played pretty good was Aaron Baines I know you'll look at the stat sheet and think he didn't play well but defensively he was really really solid for Toronto He also hit a three-pointer, which, you know, (laughs) it's a low bar that we're setting for him now, but this is kind of what you should expect from here on out. You know, Baines hit a three. That's very solid. He grabbed six boards for Toronto and made his presence felt in the paint. That's especially important against Bam Adebayo. Made him take tough shots, even though Bam played well. And, you know, Bam is the engine for that team offensively. Baines had a couple blocks and two steals as well in the game, which two steals... When's the last time you think Bam about or sorry, not Bam? When's the last time you think Aaron Baines had two steals in a game? Like, I don't know, maybe never. I don't know. The Raptors were up 34-13 early in the game, and there's about three minutes left in the first. I personally thought the game was gonna get they were gonna get blown out. At that point I kind of tuned out. I thought, you know, the Raptors, they seem like they want this game a lot more than Miami. Miami's undermanned once again. And despite not having Kyle Lowry, Toronto still playing really good team basketball. They have that next man up mentality, similar to the Miami Heat, actually, interestingly enough, where, you know, you're a well-coached team, you've got the system in place, you've got this history of success, and especially for Miami in this case, Spolstra's been there a long time and has set this precedent that this team doesn't get pushed around. They don't often, like I said, they don't often get pushed around. They were in the finals last year for Pete's sake. They're a really, really good team. Like that's just the truth of it, and they're deep. And you know, Duncan Robinson is taking a step. Obviously they didn't have Tyler Hero. Obviously they didn't have most of their good players out there. They still did have Bam, they had Igadala, they had Dragos they had some good, solid players out there for them, but inevitably they didn't have enough to take down Toronto. They're only scoring eighty one points on the game. But like I said, I tuned out. Raptors started losing their lead a little bit at the beginning of the second quarter. We saw that they were struggling against that 2-3 zone again, and you know, a little bit in my head I was like, oh, this is gonna be a replay of the last game. Toronto can't score on this 2-3 zone. They're getting open threes, but they can't hit them. Um, but there was something different in this game. You know, with Terrence Davis out there, he was kind of a zone killer early on. He had a couple big threes for the bench and provided some consistent offensive spark for Toronto, despite all of the struggles that they had uh around him. He was still giving some. Some good buckets for them and honestly there's a lot of turnovers for Toronto leading to easy buckets for Miami. Miami got it to within 15 midway through the second but Tor- But we started to see the Miami Heat bench struggle a lot making plays offensively. They're very very sloppy in the half court leading to stupid turnovers just passing it across. Toronto would just scoop up the open ball almost and it was Drogic who seemed to actually have a lot of turnovers in this game but you know, a lot of the time, their ability to handle the ball and, you know, make plays, they were really struggling with that bench, that bench mob that came out there. And Toronto took advantage in transition, getting easy, easy buckets offensively. And at this point, the Raptors were looking really good on both ends of the ball. They're playing good defense, getting in the middle of the zone, moving the ball around. And they ended up holding the Miami Heat to 42 points in that first half, which is really impressive. Also, moving on to a couple of plays at the end of the first half that I thought were pretty cool was, uh, well, not cool, but Van Vliet took a big fat elbow from Goran Dragic in that first half, of, uh, you know, led to Toronto getting a transition bucket, but that one looked like it hurt. Powell had 19 points in the first half. He was balling out, especially really early in that game. He had 10 right off the bat in like the first few minutes. And then he had that nasty play where Baines had a block off the backboard and in transition. Freddie just tossed it up to Powell for a nice alley-oop dunk. That was pretty nice. Kind of capped off that really good first half. Another guy who really played well was O.G. Ananobi. Shooting the ball really good. He was not getting a ton of touches in this game necessarily, but he went 5-for-6 from 3. Had 21 points on 8-of-12 shooting. He also had 2 steals. And honestly, this is classic O.G. Ananobi. Currently 3rd in the NBA in steals per game at 2.0. He's averaging exactly and the classic OG steal is he's on the perimeter. Dragic tries passing it across court to none, and OG's just out of nowhere picks it off, goes down the the open court, and just gets a layup or gets a dunk down on the other end. I saw him do that at least once in this game. So let's fast forward into the third quarter. Five minutes left in the third quarter. Miami went on a big run to start the third, and... Honestly, they were getting everything they wanted offensively against Toronto. And on the other side of the court, they are having the 2-3 zone. And Toronto was really struggling against that to start the third. Toronto was averaging a turnover per minute for the first six minutes of it. And then suddenly the game was tied at 61 apiece. And this is when we saw the Raptors really change their scheme against this this 2-3 zone. Right, We saw them become more committed to attacking the paint. We saw Powell drive in to get a nice layup over Bam Adebayo. We saw Siakam with a put-back dunk on an offensive rebound from a deep Van Vleet 3 that barely hit the front of the rim. And honestly, these kinds of plays are going to be available when you're playing a zone like that. On top of that, we saw OG hit a crazy sidestep 3 over Kendrick Nunn. Boucher had open 3. Then Powell had a nice floater to cap off a 12-0 run to sort of end that third quarter after suddenly being tied at 61 apiece. And then, same thing again. Once the fourth quarter started... Miami went on a tiny little 5-6-0 run to cut into that lead, but then Toronto just started crushing that zone. Specifically, Terrence Davis for the bench mob was slicing in, attacking the paint, hitting threes. Stanley Johnson had a crazy pass to Boucher, who was cutting baseline for an open dunk as well, which was pretty nice early in that fourth. And At this point, Toronto opened up to a double-digit lead, and they really never let that go. A lot of it was, you know, Toronto was doing a high screen and roll. they try and make double the ball handler, and Fred VanVleet most of the time, he'd pass it out to the screener. And then from there, that player would make the plays, whether it was Powell cutting, whether it was, you know, even Stanley Johnson was the guy screening and rolling. And, you know, you pass this, someone cutting baseline, someone open on the wing for a three. And this is when you can really break down the zone because you've got a four-on-three advantage after you pass through that trap at the front of that two-three pick and roll. So, you know, with all that being said, That's when Toronto started breaking that zone. And a lot of it was because of Miami Heat's ability to communicate. They were not communicating very well. Toronto was getting behind the zone really easily, leading to a lot of uh, alley-oop dunks and baseline cuts that led to open layups, open dunks, everything like that. And honestly, they have to get back in transition so that the teams don't get open looks behind that zone. And Toronto was really doing that, pushing the pace. And it was a great team win overall. You know, Terrence Davis had a big game, 12 points on 50% shooting and he was a big-time player and helping with those mini runs like I said whenever Miami was going on a run whenever they were cutting into the lead Terrence Davis was the guy who would actually help stop the bleeding for Toronto whether it's him just producing offense or getting other guys involved as well I really like his consistent production tonight off the bench for Toronto and this is the kind of guy that deserves more minutes we know this as Raptor fans we watched the games we saw what he did last season he was One of the best rookies in the NBA is an undrafted guy. He's got serious talent. And, you know, there are off-court issues that are still being resolved, and maybe that's part of the problem. But I think that um, whether, like, assuming everything's okay in that end because we haven't heard much about it, so um, I've heard good things out of some rumors and stuff. So I think that things are going in the right direction there. And as a result, I think that Terrence Davis deserves to get more minutes, right? He he's a really big spark off the bench for Toronto. He's a great guard, athletic. We all know what what he's doing out there. But the one big thing is when Kyle Lowry's out of the game, there's a lot more opportunities to eat for all these young players. Especially when you consider that Kyle Lowry played 35 plus minutes a night at 35 years old. There's Terrence Davis. There's Malachi Flynn. These are two really young guys who can produce good minutes for you. We're seeing LeBron James take a step back, averaging 32 minutes per game. I'm not comparing Lowry to LeBron, but from an age perspective, they're in a similar part of their career, and they're both still producing at a high level considering uh, how old they are. So I think that if Toronto wants to uh, elongate Kyle Lowry's career, it's better that he plays somewhere in the 28 to 32 minute range instead of the 35 to 38 minute range. Just because you don't want to risk injury, obviously. You want him healthy for the playoffs. And you can play him 48 minutes in the playoffs. I don't care about the playoffs. like He is meant to play all those minutes, and he can do that. We know he can. He's he's endured a lot in his career, and he's clearly got a lot of miles on his legs, but he can still pick it up when he needs to, obviously. So, you know, in the regular season, you don't need to see him play a lot. What you can do is run these guys off the bench, and we can see what we have in our bench rotation. See if Malachi Flynn is legit. See if Terrence Davis can take a step this year. And honestly, I want to see Nick Nurse start doing that moving forward. I think one of the most impressive parts about this win is that Toronto didn't get much production from Van Vliet or Siakam. They combined for 28 points on 10 of 26 shooting. You know, Siakam had 14 rebounds and Freddie had 7 assists, but they weren't scoring a whole lot is what I'm trying to say. And Lowry was out and it was the other guys who came through, right? Like I said, the Terrence Davis all these other bench players, Powell, OG and Anobi, we got a full contribution from the Raptors. And despite, you know, all these the big three not playing very well, obviously Lowry being out, like I said, but but despite them not playing well, Toronto still came out and played good basketball. And this is something that they do as part of their culture, right? That's just the Raptors culture. They're never out of a game. And I would like to see the bench get more minutes because the Raptors have some talent on that bench that, you know, we can start to utilize right we saw what Malachi Flynn can potentially become with what he was producing in the preseason we saw Terrence Davis experiment last season work out he definitely can play more minutes and I think that Van Vliet has taken a step this year Siakam is you know struggled here and there but I think he's somewhat the same guy that we saw last year when when he's really clicking which you know might not be all the time but at least he's got some of that game still there and You know I'm never giving up on Siakam. I still think he's an all-star caliber player. So for me, I think I want to see Nick Nurse go deeper in the bench, like I said. And yeah, I'm going to take a quick break and talk about some rumors that we've heard. Today we're going to be talking about some trade rumors that I've been hearing over the grapevine the last few weeks. And let's start with a big name, this free agency, Andre Drummond. The defensive metrics for him make him seem like a really great player, right? He's a big-time rebounder, leads the NBA in rebounds, scores a lot of points, but there's no real evidence to suggest that he plays winning basketball. Throughout his entire career, you know, he's played with the Detroit Pistons, he's played with now the Cleveland Cavaliers. The farthest he's gone in the playoffs, from my memory, is the eighth seed. So under Toronto's system, my question is, can he become a winning contributor to a team that has – potential championship aspirations in the next coming years because I think if you get him you have to first of all be committed that you know he's going to stay long term right because he's on a one-year contract he's the kind of player that we don't really know what he wants right does he want to be a winner does he want to be the kind of guy who can just you know put up big stats and get paid lots of money because you know he's doing that right now in Cleveland maybe he's happy but clearly they're trying to shop him and I think that a part of him wants to be on a championship team. I just think that all these years of losing, potentially he wants to be a contributor and on Toronto, he'd have to buy into being, you know, that fourth option because making a move for a guy like Andre Drummond is a win now sort of move. You're basically saying we're all in right now. We're throwing our chips in and we're trying to win, not necessarily just now, but over the next three to four years, we want to win with this core maybe keeping Lowry on the roster, maybe shopping him for a younger player who better fits the timeline potentially, but making a move for Drummond seems like a risky play to me. It's a high risk, low reward situation because if you add him, does it really raise your ceiling? Does it make you an NBA championship caliber team? That's my big question. Can they beat the Nets? Can they beat the Bucks? Can they beat the Celtics? Can they beat Philly? The Heat? Like these are five teams that are going to be in contention the next few years. Can Toronto get past this heavily stacked cast of people and players and teams in the Eastern Conference, let alone to get to the LA Lakers and take down that team. Obviously provides a big body player, a guy who can grab rebounds, a guy who can block shots. And that's something that Toronto needs right now. Aaron Baines hasn't been able to give that. Boucher still, as his nickname says, he's a slim guy. He's the slim duck. So, He's the kind of player that when you match up against a Joel Embiid, you don't want Boucher on him, right? You you really don't want that matchup because for Toronto in a seven-game series against Philly, hypothetically, you're not beating that team. Like, that's just not happening with the currently constructed roster. So for me, I think, I think that he provides a lot of value from that front. However, the $20 million one-year contract is a risky play. $20 million is a lot to make up. Do you trade one for one Kyle Lowry? That's an option. But then you're lowering your ceiling as a championship team because you're getting rid of your primary point guard, potentially your best player, and most importantly, the heart and soul of your team. And then Drummond can end up leaving in the offseason to go to an American team because he's an American guy. And that's one of the things that scares me long-term is if you do make this move, you know it could end up backfiring on you significantly. And the Kawhi Leonard move was a great move because you add a superstar, you raise your ceiling, and that team was in the mediocrity bubble for a long time, and they were able to raise their ceiling automatically by adding Kawhi Leonard without having to mortgage your future. It was really the perfect trade in hindsight. This trade would be challenging because, first and foremost, $20 million. If you want to keep Kyle Lowry, means you have to give up at least Norman Powell, that's $10 million, to make up that 80%. And then you'd also have to give up Aaron Baines, of course, to match that salary. That puts you at $17 million. Then you'd probably have to add in Stanley Johnson and Patrick McCaw, which isn't a lot, but you're just kind of depleting your depth a little bit because a guy like Stanley Johnson gets minutes, a guy like Powell plays a lot of minutes, and obviously you're just swapping Baines for Drummond, so it would be a good move. But then the question is, what does Cleveland want on top of that? There are a lot of suitors currently for Andre Drummond, and is the market suggesting it's – one first round pick is it two first round picks how far does that go how many picks do you have to give them before they're willing to um give away andre drummond that's another big question for me obviously this would be a win now move for toronto and i'm not sure if you commit long term so in my mind this is a thumbs down kind of move just because long term i don't think this move would benefit toronto and i feel like the better move is this one i'm about to talk about next which is a move for Lonzo ball. And obviously you're thinking why Lonzo ball? We have 30,000 guards on this Raptor squad. Well, the reason why you'd want Lonzo ball is because he has the potential to be a better guard than the current guard statuses that we have Malachi Flynn, Terrence Davis, Lonzo ball is a higher ceiling than those guys. So if you can pry him away by giving up say Norman Powell, who's making a similar amount of money and then attach potentially a first round pick or some kind of vet to help them, Uh, as they try and push for the playoffs because we know the pelicans are going to want to win now with that core of zion and ingram they're trying to keep those two together add pieces around them i think powell would actually fit really well next to those guys he can stretch the floor really well he doesn't need the ball in his hands and he's athletic and a great defender and the thing with lonzo ball for the toronto raptors is he's more of a project player so toronto would be looking to build long term with a guy like that as we know he's an improved shooter from his first year his form is changing over time. Uh, His shooting mechanics are getting slowly better and his shooting percentage are reflecting that he's having a tough year so far, but being the third fiddle in new Orleans is challenging behind Zion and Ingram. And he doesn't appear to be a part of their long-term future. When you consider that they couldn't agree on a long-term deal to keep him there through restricted free agency. And now he's going to be entering restricted free agency this year. So Toronto, is a team that could potentially push to make a trade for him and then sign him to, you know, a four, five year, let's say a four year deal, right? Something that uh, you can actually do a five year deal. I don't think you could do it with a guy like Lonzo Ball right now. Um, and then maybe you could give him something that doesn't mortgage your future, like Powell and a first round pick or Powell and maybe another asset that they want. And I think that this kind of player has a lot of potential. Lonzo Ball, as we know, is a good rebounder at the guard position, he's a great defender. And he's an elite passer too. He's shown to have a lot of skill. And if he does sign Toronto, you're looking for a long-term solution to the current roster construction. And and yeah, there's a lot of guards in Toronto, but let's be realistic here. Kyle Lowry is not going to be a Raptor three three or four years from now. I doubt he's going to be part of that roster. So you're going to have to look to build to the future. And I think that a core of... Lonzo Ball and Fred VanVleet in that backcourt is actually pretty enticing because Lonzo can handle the ball as well he can make plays for others and he's athletic and get into the paint for Toronto which is something that they desperately need considering they're a dependent three-point shooting team and if you have a guy like Lonzo attacking the rim constantly then you're gonna see a lot more open looks from three because despite what you think, he's still a devastating player in the paint because he's so tall, has so much length and is a very great ball handler and reliable passer as well. He just makes him a really good threat as a starting guard for Toronto. And long-term, I really like the fit there with him. And I just think that uh, despite everything, Toronto should look to rebuild. You know, they've had a tough season so far. There's no reason they can't tank, tank, sorry, pick up maybe another solid guy. There's a really good, a lot of really good players obviously in this draft class like Cade Cunningham etc so for the Toronto Raptors there's a lot of potential to uh, in a a couple years from now if you make a few moves trade a few guys and add some younger players that this team could look really really good in a few years with the core of potentially a guy like Lonzo Ball next to Fred Van Vliet who you can start giving him the keys to the team which is something he wants to do and he's proven every step down the line that he's able to take on a bigger role in an effective way right he was first a bench player and now he's a starter and he's still a really good player and has gotten better every time you've given him more opportunity and more responsibility so if you make him the primary guard for toronto i'm sure he would also thrive in that situation as well and then you pair an undersized guard in van vliet with an oversized guard in lonzo and it's honestly a nice fit defensively as well which is one of the things you have to look at when you're building in the future we know defense is an essential part of winning a championship so if you had a guy like Lonzo already a good defender long hands he's got good reaction speed and he's really really young and has a lot of potential he's averaging like 10 7 and 7 right now and he did that last season as well and like when you see a guy averaging those numbers like there has to be more potential to unlock there that's already good numbers and a good rebounding guard is also really important for Toronto considering that they're Rebounding has struggled as well. They could use more help in that front. So a guy like Lonzo could be a solution to that problem right now in Toronto while also building towards a better future for them as well.